So a theme that um, coming up that keep referring to is this sense of replenishing, refreshing, uh, feeding, jitta, on good food, mm. rather than on junk. Mm. And then discerning for you what is that, you know, not to make sort of broad brush statements, but in general consideration of uh, virtue, the fruits of friendliness, the fruits of goodwill, uh, the fruits of sensitivity, ethical sensitivity, the fruits of stability, the fruits of steady resolve through the ups and downs of it all. And these are these these drip feed, they, they build up until mm. one's able to, you know, manage quite difficult situations. And the Buddha once likened this training to the uh, training of a wild elephant. Uh, where he says you get, first of all you get the, uh, get the well, elephant that's already tamed and uh, the elephant rider, the mahout, goes out and into the forest where the wild elephant is. With it. It's got a bunch of bananas and something like that. <laughs> and the domestic elephant kind of comes close to the wild elephant. And just the very presence of the other elephant, the wild elephant. <laughs> so it's not so rampant and raging. And the missing elephant reaches out his trunk and gives him a pat, you know, all elephant. Mm. <laughs> gradually kind of get closer and then they give him some bananas. All elephant eventually gets soothed and stabilized. And then, and he, and so then he comes, he can, then the elephant is properly nourished and fed and relinquishes his wild wilderness ways. And then he says he becomes strong and steady, then he can withstand even the pitched battle. He will go and stand steady when there's kind of, um, even the, if it is a military assault, the elephant strong and stands steady. And of course, well, that's, it's called a cultivation through stages. So you've got to be recognizing that, you know, where's the time to feed and where's the time to into the fray, you know, and even, um, you know, uh, sometimes it's not exactly, you have to move in and out really, sometimes you're ready for it, and sometimes you've just got to back off and feed, and remember, and get some strength again, when you're meeting difficult circumstances. You know, the wise person knows When's the time? It's important that the wise wisdom knows when's the time. And wisdom uh, is uh, flexible. And Sampajano, clear comprehension, it's alert, flexible. And okay, now's the time to just stand steady. Now's the time to withdraw. Now's the time to feed. Now's the time to rest. Now's the time to move forward. Mm. Getting a sense of that. That flexibility is to be encouraged. 
So, when you get emotional support, mm. and you're entering some difficult dry areas or stressed areas, or health is not good, mm. and then, well, can you stay within the boundary of that, what I've been referring to, that attention that's established in a kind of like a bubble around you, around the body, so it's not a cramped attention. And it's not a scrutiny, it's a kind of more attention that has a sense of awareness within it as listening. If you tighten up your attention, the awareness property tends to diminish. Receptivity tends to diminish. We get much more into the action because that that narrow attention is very much about reading and doing and, you know, why don't you become more listening and move to that mode move from a visual mode to more like an auditory or a spacious mode and that's much more room for this property of wise awareness to move around and check things out so it doesn't remain too uh, um, focused on a particular point, I think I've made that <laughs> remark several times, but it, it certainly is a, a quite a strong habit because we are, we deal with this aspect of life, the close-up detail, attention to words and symbols and concepts, that's a lot of what we do, we're educated people, but that's, it's an education of kinds. It's an education that's, that's aimed into that level of experience for management and business. The education of a forest dweller is much more flexible. You know, and when's the time to wait for the weather to change? When's the time to seek shelter? When's the time to go forth? Mm. And that wider focus, receptivity comes to the fore. So one of the um, habits and problems that occur through this habit of grasping is forming the person. The person form as a okay, Sakaya says I'm inside all this, the world's out there, I'm inside this, and I've got to somehow manage it. And it looks for a set set solution, you know, like Okay, this is it, now I know what to do. And uh, it loses flexibility. The person tends to seek stability. It's a program that seeks to learn a set of programs it can rely upon, steady, then it'll be certain. And it's always going forward. It's always solid. It's always okay. It seeks that. It doesn't like to not feel okay. It doesn't like to not know what to do. It does not like that at all doesn't like spaciousness, feels a bit restless within that. Yeah. Definitely does not like painful feeling, wants to resist and fight against it. 
we want the person form seeks the permanent, satisfactory and self. And uh, naturally this is a <laughs> recipe for some disappointment. But that's a very strong habit. And you know, the whole culture is built around that. But it is, it's not actually an entity at all, it's a habit. And so, not saying you're denying, you know, some sense of self can be there. And it's said that one becomes skilled in self, developed in terms of self. This is a phrase that's used in the sutras. It means you kind of, you know, you've got your wits about you. And you know when you're getting stuck. So you can call it, it's not really the person, it's something you know, an intimate subjective quality, pachatang, realizable intimately, and it knows, you know, the property of mindfulness is not present, the property of joy is not present. Mm. Wait a minute, <laughs> looks like, better, you know, begin to check the whole piece we open up. In very fact, just the, just this sense of opening and lifting off the topic, uh, just this sometimes this, this in itself is already remedial. And, oh, that's just that. Okay, well everybody gets this. This is the territory we're in now. You know, everyone gets the sadness or the shock or the pain. Or, you know, okay. part of the territory of being human. So, you know, that may not seem great news, but it does help to prevent the person clamping on that experience. That form clamping on that experience. And then you, you know, when you clamp on it, then that's the recipe for pain, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, depression, hopelessness, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first sense, we in gaining in being a support to oneself and to others is to be able to, you know, depersonalize without losing intimacy. Definitely, I'm feeling it. Definitely, just feeling it. It's not I'm just saying, oh, so what? No, because we're cultivating the the root quality of empathy. Um, so these remember these three forms. Renunciation, the ability to drop something, very important. Uh, non-brutality, non-violence, not to push, fight. Uh, and then non-cruelty means that we are sensitive, sympathetic. These are very important bases. So, and, you know, the, the person tends to lose sympathy because the person acts as like an internal experience which solidifies there's only me there's a world out there which is hostile or unfeeling or uncaring or whatever and we're in that capsule and this 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 limits the potential the emotional potential the heart potential to move out through that boundary, that self-boundary. 
So the person actually is a reduction in empathy. That's one of the features of it. As we see when people adopt a fixed view, strongly personal, really holding on, that's definitely right, I'm right, this is the only way it's going to be. Well, what's the sense of empathy is going to happen there? Zero. They're really solid, they're really convinced, they really believe this is the right way, absolutely, that's what I take my stand on, I'm one of those. Okay. Zero empathy with anything other than me and mine. This leads to a kind of, in some sense, a sort of a obsessive, even narcissistic view. And then in that position, the righteous person, the right person, is almost spoiling for a fight. (laughs) Because they experience themselves as the right, surrounded by the wrong. All that which doesn't agree, you know. And again, like, uh, you know, hey, hello. <laughs> you know, this is the the personal person form. It's only a form, but it's a very dominant form, and it, it can get very intense. And it really works around about views and ideologies are very ripe food for the person. Hmm. And it's spring-loaded. I, I, was, I think I mentioned this a while back, I went to the dentist, sitting in the dentist's waiting room, and I'm you know, sitting there, it's a little waiting room in dozy Midhurst, nothing happening, little town, so what? You know, just sitting there in this dentist's waiting room, and suddenly the door opens, this woman comes, looks at me and says, I remember the Catholic Church, and I believe that. I'm thinking, <laughs> what? <laughs> so she sees this thing, and immediately has to jump into religious identity <laughs> to defend herself against a satanic force <laughs> sitting in a, in a in a in a chair in a in a dentist waiting room. And so I just kind of chuckled. She said, "What's so funny about that?" I said, uh, "Well." <laughs> You know, it's just that we're just sitting in a dentist's waiting room. We just find it surprising. <laughs> and so she gives me another line. Gives me another line of righteousness. I think, okay, just, this is not going anywhere. Is it? It's always sad, really, you know. I've got no issues with this person. We should come here to get a teeth fixed. <laughs> Can't we share that? <laughs> the Catholic teeth or Buddhist teeth. You know, these, these positions, the person needs to kind of defend themselves or find stability in a world that's very unstable. Understood. Understood. But look, look what it causes, what it results are. And maybe some of that instability that we experience around us is because of the way we're not finding balance within that. You know, sort of something that's just cutting ourselves off. So what we call around us becomes a neglected area. Now, you know, you may, this is where this internal external thing, the consciousness 
provides is, is a drawback. And why that recommendation is not an act of charity, <laughs> a sense of sympathy and compassion for all beings. It's a great idea, but you know, what he's saying is not even you know, other people uh, in, a, in a geographical sense, but just a sense of whatever's around me psychologically sensitive to that, opening to that. Mm. Mm. So we feel ourselves in a jam, for example. I'm really in a jam. I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a... Where's that? It's not visual, is it? It's psychological. I'm in a tough. I'm in a tough situation. I'm in a difficult space right now. We use these terms to refer to our psychological environment, and something then will tend to try to hold out against it, or force through it, or blame it on myself, or other people, or the past, or the future, or wherever. I mean, it's still that the personal is still besieged within. And a, a psychological, emotional environment they're finding very unable to, to reach, to manage. Mm. And that's, yeah. But staying in that will not deal with it. And in fact, it becomes that person, that besieged person, becomes a life form. And then, of course, at some time or another, you, you know, it's going to break down. We come in as life on our backs, helpless. We go out, similarly. <laughs> and there's a period in between the two where things are definitely, you, you've got to realise your helplessness and on a conventional level. Vulnerable. Mm. Okay, so then, rather kind of defend against that, just opening gently. And the quality of opening itself has got a quite a healthy feeling to it. Just relaxing the, the tension, relaxing the attitudes, I should be, I can't, there. <coughs> Maybe that itself, that boundary itself, is creating the problem, or one of the conditions that creates the problem of emotional bleakness. Mm. Mm. So we consider that to be something that's protecting, protecting us, but it's, it's actually part of the problem. And if that can soften a little, we sense there's some space. Where before there was just a resistance, we sense there's some space. And the chitta, which has been compressed, starts to unfold. If you're just in the unfolding of the chitta, to meet, her, to meet what seems to be difficult, the difficult, the tonality of it drops. Because, of course, the difficult stuff is being fed by the constriction of the jitta. 
constriction of the heart. Now if that constricted state is softened, after, you know, softened, the quality of non-constriction feels quite a, both changes the tension and the con- contraction into something softer. And that is already an agreeable, not just agreeable, but skillful shift. And you go, oh, yeah, there's a little bit of room to breathe here, move around. And maybe we'll get through this, maybe things will pass. Maybe there's a lot more maybe and less definite, and that's good. And then some of the personality psychologies which are deal with it, fix it, get rid of it, change it, become something else, that, that those reflexes start to, no, maybe you don't do that right now. Just enjoy, just rest in that ability to soften, be receptive. And that opens a space whereby the afflictive feelings kind of which seem to be coming in like arrows begin to dissolve. Mm. Or melt, become softer. Think, oh, it's just uncomfortable. Oh, it's just me feeling nervous. I always feel nervous. It's just an issue, just let it pass. So that wider perspective occurs. Ah, this is a change. You are no longer so emotionally frozen. And that changes, we begin to recognize that really the internal external boundaries actually in terms of chitta, in terms of sense consciousness, yeah, that's kind of works. In terms of chitta, it's a problem. Problematic. And generally, you know, the idea is you can operate both. Yeah, conventionally speaking, this is my body, that's you, obviously. But within that, it's a sense of, well, you know, you've got as much right to be here as I have, and those kinds of things, you know, on a heart level, we don't have to do that. And what stops us doing it? Feeling personally inadequate, feeling being not good enough, um, getting in the way, not being as what you should be, not being welcome, so forth, or some issue with he's like this or she's like that. So the personalization of things creates these boundaries whereby the empathy flow is blocked. Now, mm. This is very much the basis of the, or you know, the, what's called the, you know, the qualities, the apamano, measureless qualities, brahma-vihara qualities, kindness, compassion, gladness, appreciation, or really, really enjoying, 
one's welfare and other people's welfare when, when you're feeling good like yeah this is skillful this is beautiful I really admire that in her when she does that I feel pretty uplifted mm. just to see that not she's better than me <laughs> she's turning it the wrong way <laughs> jealousy and just oh it's great that you know she's really talented or so forth you know I don't have to be the best at everything Personality says I should be. <laughs> Not in quite such gross terms, but definitely feels, you know, I'm lesser than him, dear. <laughs> Those things can happen. Mm. So, you know, the upper mano is another way of. Uh, is actually, the way that the, these, these four cultivations are are referred to, really, basically, is Apamana. The Brahma Vihara is a kind of a poetic um, reference to it. This is a sublime abiding in the measureless. So the measureless is always drawing lines. Me, you, this, that, better, worse, uh, deserve, don't deserve. It's the accountant. And again, we develop that in that, you know, to a refined degree. So, the mano is to do with the mano vijnana, um, mental intellect consciousness. And that whole consciousness basis set up on separation. And mano, mano vijnana is very good at that, measuring in accordance with concepts of what's better doesn't embrace and include anything. It's not designed to do that. It's designed to differentiate. This is accurate, this is inaccurate. That's what it does. It's not. That's its job. It's useful in certain areas. But it's terrible in terms of emotional management. And shifting moods and inspiration, and gladness, and joy, and even goodwill, because I don't have very much goodwill. You just measured it, didn't you? (laughs) From the personality point of view, here it pops up again. He's he's got a lot more goodwill than I have. You know, so this thing can just take over everything. So we might begin even, you know, opening up and considering as an exercise, just recollect any signs of courtesy, any signs of appreciation, any signs of non-hostility, you know, that, that come to you from others. People look at you and say, good morning. Well, that's better than saying, buzz off, isn't it? drop dead <laughs> you know, particularly if they actually mean it <laughs> you know and then can I help you oh, that's, that's, that's a sign of goodwill rather than sort it out for yourself <laughs> and these, these gestures are quite normal for people to make and, and you know, certainly in, in our cultivation they're genuine they really mean it truthful 
And if you just say, I wish I could help you, even that's better than saying, well, tough luck. <laughs> you know, I can't do it, but at least there's that will- willingness to a sense of compassion or sympathy. So these signs are coming in and you just kind of re- recollect to remember. And recognizing after a while, you get this realization, hey, people like doing this. They really like to do goodwill. They enjoy it. It's not like a terrible burden I'm placing on them. They actually like it. And that sense, again, some of that sense of the isolated self dissolve, you realize actually, and when there's any degree of sanity and health, obviously people fluctuate, the wish to do to be kind and helpful is pretty standardized if people aren't just stuck in some position. And this certainly is, this certainly is a summary, you get great advantage because people are looking and think, God, this guy needs some help. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so the last time I was in London, which I kind of assume in London, everybody's busting around, suits, ties, dreadlocks, tattoos, no, you know, pins through their noses, they, you know, kind of brusque, hard-hearted city, everybody's zapping out for themselves. And I'm trying to get to London Underground, which is pretty much mapped on my brain from living there, but of course they build all these new railway lines all the time and they give them different colours. And of course I'm colour, I have issues around colour. I don't mean kids' skin colour, I mean colour. <laughs> so I can't quite determine which line is which, because it says this is the Bakerloo, the Metropolitan, they all look kind of like washy grey, washy shades. So I'm standing at this, this kind of a London Underground, uh, Looking at this board, is that is that that colour or that colour? Is that the Bakerloo or is it the Metropolitan or is it? I got the black, I got the blue, I got the yellow. What's that one? I'm standing there scrutinising this, and this um, fellow comes up and says, "You look lost." And I said, "I'm always lost." Fortunately, he didn't take that as a bragging, you know, about my lack of self-view. <laughs> so I said, oh, can I help you? Well, where do you want to go? So I said, he said, look, if you advise you, you take this station and you won't have to climb up the stairs. Which was kind, you obviously saw, you know, I'm carrying bags and, you know, it's just such a sweet gesture. And showing me the right station and get on that one, you, then you don't have to climb up the stairs carrying a bag and you go across the other side. And then that was it, off. You know, and, that, and I find it's quite interesting, quite beautiful, because it generally happens in railway stations and airports where I'm stuck, looking confused, which is my standard experience. So I can't see what's going on. <laughs> I'm just about to get on the wrong train in, in some country. You know, I was in Holland uh, the other year, and they give me this ticket, which I have this ticket. I'm at Schiphol Airport, and I want to do with this ticket stand around looking what other people are doing and they go up to this kind of they slap this ticket on a little plate and the, the, the gates open okay i've got that slap the ticket on oh a gate opened go through the gate. oh that's wonderful it's magic ticket 
then I've got to go on the right train. I'm looking at these maps and what's that Nijmegen, Ark, Ark, this train. I want to get to this town that's on that line. You know, maybe I'll get this one or that one. So I'm trying to get this train. What the right one? Train comes in. It looks like it's going the right direction. So I kind of about to get on the train. This woman looks at me, says, "Looks at my teeth. Don't get on that train." She says, "Stay off the train." Okay. And so I wait, and then next train, somebody says, oh, get on that train. Okay, and I get off the other end. And these young men start wanting to carry my bags down a flight of stairs. Pretty amazing country, this. You know, somebody wants to actually want to, I didn't ask, they want to carry my bag. Well, you know, this, this, I don't know them. But, you know, in a way, uh, someone that tends to, is a person who stops the straight lines, who's not efficient, not effective, doesn't know the game, then it means other people stop their straight lines, they rush to this, they rush to that, and they become, when they're off the straight line, they suddenly become human and open and recognize. We're all living in a wilderness, and let's give this guy a hand. Uh, and once we realise that, we're all in the wilderness, rather than what it looks like, straight lines everywhere. And that straight line very much enforces the isolated self who lives in that tunnel going to their destination. Everything else is getting in my way. You see it happening on streets and roads, people getting angry in cars because somebody's getting in my way. Come out, come out, get off the street, get out of the bubble, open up. You know, a sense of opening these qualities of sympathy and empathy start to suffuse gently. Now, even if we're not, you know, we're sitting in a meditation or we're not in a railway station and people aren't talking to each other, still, you know, you enter your difficult places and then you stop the measuring or resist the measuring, resist the clamping to get over it or defend yourself or blame yourself or go through the narratives. From that wider perspective, what's happening is difficult energy, difficult mood, difficult influence suffusing the heart. And then wanting to get away from it or wanting to pull out of it. This is the place where you learn to meet and open just a little. And with a question, if you like, how does this feel? So that's already a sympathetic question, isn't it? How does this feel? What's needed? Without having an answer. And that 
those two questions just help to lift the jitta out of the murk. So, see, that's just the subsiding of that self-boundary. And it's essential, in my opinion, because of the subsiding that the, the measuring mind subsides or backs off and we're much more into the territory of jitta, heartfulness, even if it's very subtle, and you connect that um, breathing. So breathing acts as a kind of, uh, well, any, any internal rhythmic movement like that acts as a sort of an amplifier because the emotional energy and the internal body energy run on the same channels. So holding the impression of opening of non-aversion, breathing, and particularly giving more attention to the ending of the breath of each breath. So this is a kind of a tip, if you like. The most important pieces to establish are right at when the in-breath is trailing out, when the out-breath is trailing out. Because that's the place where energy shifts. It turns from an active mode into an open mode and then turns into action again. So the breathing out is energy moving, comes to the end of the out-breath, energy opens, it's not moving, it's kind of when it's subtly suffusing and the in-breath comes in. That's where, that's a discharge place where that which has been stressed or tangled or begins to Oh, that. In breath comes in, you know, and then get to the end of the inhalation, same thing, it's the same phase as opening. And again, that opening has this, it, it, it helps the energies to reorganize themselves from a constricted place of pressure, I've got to do it, or I am this, I'm not that, into this way of thinking is just not relevant. It's not relevant, it's actually damaging. Mm. So just as this, that's just the opening. And because with that opening, there's a sense of the, the boundary subsides. Energy moves freely, gently, softly. And we are, you know, in very obvious ways, we're dissolving the internal external boundary, aren't we? Because you, ha- you have to breathe out into something and you breathe in from something, even on a basic physical level. And psychologically it's that, I open, I receive. Hmm. I empty, I let go into something bigger. The energy and what we detect within that, what we can sense within that sense of real 
releasing and relinquishment of willpower and boundary and measuring control. So that uh, is definitely uh, an abiding, uh, like a vihara, <laughs> where these transformative qualities of goodwill and compassion, appreciation, equanimity, just start to build up by themselves. You can't, you don't exactly do them. You can say the chitta doesn't obey orders. You can't tell it to be gladdened. But you can generate the sign that will be a supportive condition for that. And you relinquish the sign that blocks it. Because actually these measureless states, they're not kind of refined special states. They are the norm for a healthy heart, healthy jitta. That's, that's the norm. That's when we go to when when the things are properly settled. And we lose it through pressure and fear and worry and aversion and stuff that jangles us around. And you've got to, so then the chitta gets very dented and contracted and then it starts to get very upset. You get the wild elephant crashing around, slumping around, grumping around. Getting upset and angry. Okay. Now you can't start blaming a wild elephant, but you create a proper place for it to return to something more healthy and sustaining. And when you get a hint of that sense of emotional balance, this is nothing, not some wonderful creation, this is just emotional balance. Why should one feel ill will? It's painful. <laughs> you know, get stuck in it, but then, oh, it's just the, the nature of the boundary, the self-boundary, is a condition to support that. We don't realize that. We don't, because we haven't seen it. So we don't realize that something like that, which doesn't seem to be ill will, is a condition that supports it. Supports me and mine. And them and them. And then the loneliness, or the judgment, or the feeling isolated, or whatever. That um, means one is cut off from proper health. So when we kind of bear some of these points in mind, and you you know, walking, standing, sitting, moving around, where's the edge? It's so, uh, it's quite common, you know, for, for the, the meditation paradigm to be a kind of a closing in. You know, to deal with my mind, which is inside me. 
we say we go inward. I wouldn't make too much out of that expression. The Buddha says you don't cling internally, you don't cling externally. And ideally, internal, external meeting together, dissolving those, so there's just unified field. Mm. Mm. So you often refer to those two places, and whichever, you know, skillful dhammas, unskillful dhammas arise in any of these fields, doesn't matter, because they're actually not separate. They support each other. And if the boundaries can be softened and erased, that softening allows for the skillful to begin to come through. So this boundary is created, you know, in terms of time. I'm here now, we want to be in the future. There's a boundary. What does that do? Worry, expectation. Mm. Boundary, other people, huge, very strong one. What does that do? How useful is that? Mm. When is it relevant, when it's not relevant? And, uh, you know, the sense, sense consciousness level, it has a relevance. But internally, it's problematic. So we look at where that form occurs and maybe some compassion is needed here or some lifting from those positions is needed here and then there's harmony and of all things that the jitta loves harmony is supreme and it's where things begin to regenerate broken things become whole again you know uh, foes become amicable. You know. uh, problems become acceptable pieces of the landscape that we can learn from. Problems become something we say, oh, this is a place for us to learn a bit of this and that and the other, rather than anything else, you know. Even sickness. Occasionally you get these summoners who have very chronic illness, and uh, he would barely do much at all. And certainly some of my people I really quite admire because I've been good health, primarily. Mm. People who kind of lie around most of the time because they're just too sick. And then practicing, say, so just practice non-aversion, and non- non-pity, non-self-pity, and non-complaining hold awareness over whatever's being experienced with those bases in mind. No resistance, no fretfulness, no complaining, just removing those. That's the only way I get any relief. And then I have to do that, I think suddenly something in awareness starts to open 
and the painful, uncomfortable condition. It's there, but it's no longer trapping me. That's what I can do. I'm no longer trapped by it. It's teaching me about humility, patience and goodwill. Therefore we see all our problems, all our challenges, which are challenges, held rightly, turn arrows into flowers. <laughs>